Yeah, we're working on uh, um, uh, making these podcasts uh, shorter so that we can make the uh, troubleshooting longer. <laughs> I feel that's like the, that's the best part. That's the best part of any podcast is the troubleshooting. Yeah, exactly. It's like the technical difficulties will become forefront. It's like, welcome to our technical difficulties cast. Jacob Forrest Jennings Severn. Max Boschert Zielsdorf. The name of our podcast is To Be Decided. Yes. <laughs> That's the name. That's the name of the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast Disappointing at Best. That is the name of the podcast. Uh, my name is Max Boschert-Zielsdorf. I'm Jacob Severn. And we're here to talk about VidCon. <laughs> oh, man. I totally missed VidCon. I, mean, I, was, I know that VidCon is a thing, but I don't know when it happened. I don't know. I, was, uh, I, I went to the wrong uh, Hilton in, um, in I don't know, uh, San Antonio. I was uh, at ConCon, actually. I was that's at cool. The, I like that there's Metacons now. Yeah, exactly. Well, Metacon was a completely different thing. That was oh, in sure. Vegas, same weekend. And also Con Con and Metacon. And Transformers, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Metacon, run! <laughs> <laughs> and then people were at ConCon thinking that they were supposed to be at Con Air Con, which was... <laughs> It has had a bigger turnout lately. I, I think this is this is a, like they've yet again written a brand new uh, uh, petition to send to Hollywood that there needs to be Con Air 2. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, Hollywood gets the same petition every year, but there's like been more names this year. Yeah, and yet they still can't get Cage as the keynote. Cage Cage's fee is too high. They have nope, to get nope. uh can't get Cage, can't get Buscemi. Those are the big gets for Con Air Con and <laughs> Cage not was quite like yet. I do need money and I need it fast, so I could sign up to speak at CageCon or whatever you said, or or I could sell this giant dinosaur skeleton that I bought. <laughs> but he's like, oh man, I do not want to sell that giant dinosaur skeleton. I outbid Leonardo DiCaprio for it. That was what was weird about that. It's not weird that Nicolas Cage does something crazy like buys a dinosaur skeleton. Yeah. It's weird that the second in line to get that was Leo. Right. It's like, like it's like who who could be some I mean the Leo's the, the the most suspect thing about Leo uh fantastic actor, very well right. respected. I think the most suspect thing about him in the public eye is that he's not married. Um other or than that, that he just dates insanely gorgeous models, like one after another. Exactly. And 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 we're and we're to believe like this is this is something that a person who's mentally unstable does or something. And then oh, and, you know that's that, true, yeah. I like 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 uh, or, yeah that they settle down, Leo. Yeah, exactly. Settle down, Leo. That's that's the I mean, we're we're speaking directly to Leo at this yeah, point. Yeah. I'd really hope I really hope he downloads this episode. Well, yeah, <laughs> Nick, Leo will download this episode and we'll hear the exact same thing that Nicholas Cage told him when he kept trying to outbid him for that. Dinosaur skeleton. <laughs> no, settle down, Leo. What's it like in those rooms? <laughs> it's, it's so sweaty. It's, I know. it's such a smaller room than we're imagining. It's so much it's, sweatier. It's just the two of them. <laughs> they're, yeah, the, the, yeah, we think that they were outbid like it was a room of thousands of people all with the chance to bid. But really the only reason he outbid him is because he was the only other person in the room. <laughs> and like, Leo was like, I, I bid here? zero. Like, why am I even here? Like, <laughs> and Cage was like, 53 million. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I mean, it's stupid that I drove all the way down to this weird part of town if I don't bid. So, fifty-three million one hundred, whatever. <laughs> Settle down, Leo. <laughs> Nicholas Cage's entire life is this elaborate theater that he's Which constructed he, around himself. Yeah, he constructed, but then like took the exact right drugs to forget that he constructed it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He wants to descend into his own Truman Show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Drive Angry shot in 3D was 
actually entirely conceived by Cage. It is a, yeah. it is, it, but, but, but it's conceived by Cage inside of a, uh, a fugue state. So he doesn't actually know he made that movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He, he directs in a fugue state and acts in a normal state. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's flipped of what you might expect, but... <laughs> But as a result, he's not aware of who the director is. It's someone, <laughs> some shady figure that he's only vaguely aware of. <laughs> it's amazing. That's what Fight Club 2 is about, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait for Fight Club 2. <laughs> Fight Club 2 fighting again. <laughs> yep, yep. Fight Club 2 still fighting. <laughs> still fighting. <laughs> which, which, did you hear that... Uh, uh, so speaking of still fighting, there's the new Rocky movie Creed, which is all about oh. Apollo Creed's son, played by um, Michael B. Jordan, of right? Fantastic Torch, whatever his name is, and I love and that then, guy. Yeah, he's super awesome. And then, but also because because every time uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone decides to come back with a sequel to one of his famous franchises he has to automatically do both and they have to well they it seems like they have to follow the same conventions like when right he did john rambo at the same time as rocky balboa right and so i expected that the like next rambo movie he would immediately announce after creed would be like you know a name of an Asian person that he murdered <laughs> in, <laughs> right. in one of the many Rambos. Right. But but it's going to be called Last Blood, which is actually really awesome. That is super awesome. I know. Assuming he doesn't make any more after that. It's well, terrible if he does. I It is terrible if he does, but in order for him not to, I think it has to be a snuff film. I think he actually he has, has to, to die, die on well, screen. No, not, not the actor. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> like, otherwise, he's going to keep making movies. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, I love Sylvester Stallone, but... Right, why can't he continue any of his other famous roles like... Copland 2. Yeah, or Stop or My Mom Will Shoot 2. <laughs> yeah. I think stop. there was a Stop or My Mom Will Shoot 2. <laughs> and I would I would have been like, but it starred Stuart French as the main role. <laughs> French Stuart as the main role. Stuart, comma, French, yes. <laughs> yes, that's what he was always called in uh, when the substitute teacher called role. <laughs> but, but I know that it, that like, it was still Sylvester Stallone. Like, yeah, I know. He's his own French steward. <laughs> so, in either... Uh, I did see John Rambo. I didn't see Rocky Balboa. In either of those movies, was it hinted at... I can't I can't remember in John Rambo. I don't think it was. Was it hinted at that someone else was going to take the reins to be the uh, main character of this franchise? Well, so, but I thought that... Rocky Balboa was all about his son kind of okay. trying to live in his footsteps. But I'm honestly not sure if it was his son like being like, everyone wants me to be a boxer and I don't want to be. Or if his, it was his son being like, I want to be a big boxer and I'm living in my father's shadow. Like, I don't know which way he went with that. I'm... I'm not I'm I'm not sure. I didn't I didn't see the movie. I think it's a smart move obviously because he's Sylvester Stallone and like you, you just you just can't there won't be another Sylvester Stallone. But right. it's a, it's a it's a good move for him to want to continue in that role until he just physically can't anymore. I don't know. Right. I saw the Die Hard 5 and it very obviously oh, oh uh, spoiler alert it very obviously set it up for uh Die Hard's son to be uh oh, to be the die next hard. the next Die Hard um <laughs> right. As and if it, it's a character name <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> run Die Hard run <laughs> exactly his name is Die Hard after all <laughs> Die Hard Junior and and, and, and die hard <laughs> little Die Hard babies <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you that I, uh, last Christmas, uh, a couple months ago, watched the uh, Muppet uh, Family Christmas 
which was actually it was made in 1987 and so i was like not sure like how good it would be but that was actually the sweet spot like when they were the funniest and so it was like the muppets go and stay at this house in like upstate new york or whatever for christmas and they get snowed in and it's super witty and silly and like what you'd expect from like golden era muppets or whatever but then the sesame street crew rolls in and like they're hanging out with them, <laughs> and they're super fucked up. <laughs> yeah. We we just took a whole bunch of PCP, and we need a place to cool off. <laughs> um, it's that it's that inner city school district that they <laughs> <laughs> exactly one two three Sesame Street's a dangerous stoop. <laughs> PS PS one two three, but like and then. Midway, but so they actually do kind of have like they're talking to oddly enough, the only other person staying at the house is like for a vacation or whatever is the old inventor from the Fraggle Rock show. Okay, and and he and his dog Sprocket, who is a Muppet, right? And he's like, Oh, these these Muppets are strange creatures. Are these anything like those Fraggles you told me about? And the dog does the like, eh like so so hand gesture and so Uh then he like slowly gets to like accepting them as like like i don't like that they're weird and he slowly comes around to the fact that they're weird and he's talking to bert and ernie and they're like uh they ask him his name and he says his name and so they like say oh doc that begins with a d what are some other words that begin with a d and they start listing words that begin with d and he's like what are you guys talking about and they're like sorry this counts as small talk where we come from so it's like totally like self-referential and like sort of fourth wall breaking and then that's great end up meeting the fraggles too and so it all like rolls in, but then at one point they're like, "Oh hey, we have like my mom stashed away because the whole thing is it's Fozzie Bear's mom's like house and that they're okay. staying at." And so they find like old film of like reel to reel of the Muppets' first Christmas together, and they they play it on a projector, and it's the creation of the Muppet Babies as characters. So the like Whoa. the film that we watch is live action, like just like normal Muppets, but it's like all these new character models of like Rolf in a diaper at a tiny piano and you know, little right. tiny Kermit and little tiny whoever. And that's clearly where those characters were created that went on to be the cartoon show Muppet Babies. Wow. So it's like this one Christmas special is the like the you know the like focal point of all like Jim Henson universe stuff. That is insane. Yeah, and also, also cool that there's another Muppets related Christmas thing other than Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, yeah. That we well, can they watch. also have this like Muppets Christmas with John Denver from the late seventies. It what? is not good. It's not good. Oh, really? <laughs> he like it's cool that John Denver like is with them and he like wrote original songs, but uh. it has some really goddamn dumb skits. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Yeah, some of those celebrity appearances on uh Sesame Street are awesome purely for the idea that it's the celebrity on Sesame Street. They're not yeah. good. <laughs> right, right. But then other times they're like, they're really, really good. Like Neil Patrick Harris singing about shoes. <laughs> oh man, yeah. No, other times they're phenomenal. I I always thought it, I thought it was weird a few years ago when Michelle Obama went on iCarly, and I was like, why? Why did it sounds like, like a if really going, bad Twitter joke? <laughs> if you're going to appear and like I don't know what iCarly really is at all. Yeah, but but, is that, but uh, is that, that's so Raven, but like but CG. That's what I imagine it being. I, I guess so. I, I'm not sure. I just like if you're the first lady and you're going to um, talk to kids on a TV show, that's awesome. But why not do Sesame Street? Like right. I just thought it was so strange to see one on our. I, I don't know. It's, I, I guess. Um. Yeah, maybe the I don't right know. wing would accuse her of being pro PBS. Yeah, pro- <laughs> and, and yeah. like a- anti whatever Romney's motion to get rid of PBS. Or right. I was talking with a friend about that yesterday about uh, how presidential campaigns are all about being uh, shareable on social media now. That's interesting. Yeah, the totally. Idea of like basically like 
uh, campaigning in hashtag form. Exactly. And I wasn't really aware of any of the memes that uh, the Romney campaign tried to create. Uh, but apparently they did try <laughs> to create a lot of various memes to be shared on social media. But the only things that survived from the Romney campaign were completely unplanned. It was uh, it was like Goodbye Big Bird. It was uh, uh, binders full of women, mm-hmm. and it was uh, 43% of Americans uh, uh, are never going to be reached because they don't pay income tax. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and those were the three things that last. I mean, I guess I live in a, a liberal elite coastal bubble, but for me, those are the only things that I think about when I think about Mitt Romney. And that's funny. Yeah. I wonder if like he and his like team or his, you know, whoever manager reviewed that when he was deciding whether he wanted to run in 2016 and they were just like, you know what? No. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah we we like... did our all. But what's funny is that what I imagine when you say like they planned to create memes is I imagine like really shitty, like angry Romney over the like, you know, two color, like. Uh, diagonal diamond background and it's like <laughs> guy in guy in movie theater won't shut up spoils ending and it's like him looking super pissed superimposed you know? <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> the really See, bad would... reddit memes you know yeah that would appeal to uh that would appeal to his space though probably or not yeah that's the problem is i don't know i i guess i guess that that was his big failing is he didn't have didn't have a base because he was too uh too please everyone kind of thing. high fo- well he was too he was he was too uh rich to appeal to middle america but that's like the whole like branding crisis that the gop has is they don't have anyone who hits the sweet spot they either have like guy you can have a beer with or really calculating smart dude but like uh, both of them are completely unrelatable mm-hmm. um Right to yeah. a certain demographic, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I I can't even understand like what it is that a president can ever, or you know, a candidate can ever try to be. Because yeah, you get in trouble for trying to be everything to all people, but then you completely miss any opportunity to get any attention if you try to be one thing. So yeah, like, I feel like what is the? I guess you try to be three things, or you try to be five things. And in doing that, you only alienate 30% of the country or whatever. It just seems weird. Exactly. Yeah. I was talking to, yeah, I was, I was, I was talking to someone yesterday about the, uh, the, you know, the 18 to 24s, um, uh, that the, the young people who are, who are the big get for any, uh, presidential campaign, no presidential campaign had ever really gotten to them until Obama's first term. And then. You know, and 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 it's a question of whether they'll ever turn out to the polls again. Um, uh, but like, I was thinking, like, was Bill Clinton good at playing saxophone? Or <laughs> like, like, did do, do you think saxophone players looked at Bill Clinton playing saxophone and were like, he's good? Or like, does that matter? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, it's it was more just like a stunt to show that he was cool. It didn't matter. Right, exactly. Good. I'm sure it was competent. Like, I don't know. I should ask uh, uh, um, maybe someone someone who plays saxophone if 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 they, if they've if they've looked back at the tape at the rock the vote tape and seen <laughs> I mean, i'm sure it was competent i'm sure it was just fine i don't i i'm sure bill clinton wasn't up there showboating trying to do some fancy moves and failing at it but right, uh right well it's like it, it, the the thing that that reminds me of is like obama's equivalent of playing saxophone was being pretty good at basketball yeah and then when he which set like i feel like it was like a sweet tic-tac-toe setup or something where like you'd you like no matter how the other person responds you have your like winning move because like Mm -hmm. when then he tried to bowl he went bowling and oh yeah and he failed at it and people (laughs) were like he like did shitty at it and people were like Maybe you should stick to basketball. And it just came off as, as super racist when they said oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, 
that was so sweet that he's like probably accidentally set that up, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I love how. Um, yeah, that really sets up an elitism thing for him because you have like attack ads. Obama's not good at bowling. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, b- bowling, which is like the middle America. Like, I'm just a blue collar, hardworking, like kind of. That's the activity. Yeah. So if he's not good at that, then he must not be able to relate to like how being in the coal mine is or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And whoever his opponent is, whether it's in the primaries or in the race, can then can then go bowling and can probably be better than he was because I, by by all accounts he was terrible at it. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, so I've been but trying. The thing is Obama's not Obama's not sitting there for fifty minutes like bowling a whole game. He like <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. that would be rad if Obama was sitting down and like. But the truth is he's like throwing the ball down the lane once and then he's going on to his next like photo op. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. And depending on how he did, probably twice because like there was a spare and he didn't pick up. <gasps> the spare therefore he doesn't get what it's like to be a coal miner <laughs> right exactly it would be so awesome if he was like finishing two pitchers of miller high life and like <laughs> and like yeah waiting for the other team a couple to go of games yeah exactly <laughs> amazing getting, getting just terrible pizza microwaved for him. <laughs> yeah exactly uh the the <laughs> memes that I imagine that the right wing is capable of making, I think are already pretty well recreated on the Twitter feed GOP teens, uh, <laughs> which occasionally pops in my feed, be- mostly because is it, tr- it, is it real or is it fake? No, it's not. It's totally like fucking, or it's just like being silly. Like, uh, teens, shouldn't the Super Bowl losers have to get a call from Obama? <laughs> and, <laughs> and like Super Bowl and Obama and the word call are all hashtags. <laughs> Like, like teens are Senator Ted Cruz's eyebrows on fleek. (laughs) We don't even know what that means. (laughs) Um, And uh, everyone, usually the only time I hear about it because it's funny, and then I forget about it. But the only time I hear about it is is when somebody once again discovers it who is part of the GOP and is like, yeah, this is really great resource. Let's make this big. <laughs> like, talks about it on like, you know, some, you know, meet the press interview or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, it gets out once again and everyone has to be like, no, 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 it's, it's making fun of us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I listened to, uh, um, the, uh, uh, on the occasion of, um, the Colbert Report going away. There was a, a, a fresh air tribute to Stephen Colbert, and they they, mm. they didn't have him on again. They just had him play. They just played the couple of uh, times they'd had him on in the past, and um, uh, they played uh, stuff from the White House Correspondents' Dinner, which I had forgotten about. Where it's 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 maybe believed by a fair amount of people that. It was his first year on the air, and people didn't know – somebody who booked him for that dinner didn't know that he was making gotcha. fun of them. Wow, I don't, interesting. I don't know if that – I still don't know if that's the case because to me it's so blatant. It's right. so – like it's so obviously satire. But uh, um, yeah, it's 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 – Believed by many that it was some kind of oversight resulted in him being the of, of like everybody knows he was funny of course but right. somebody didn't think it was satire in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that was interesting. It took me a while too, like maybe just because it was whatever two thousand five, and I didn't at that age quite understand <clears throat> the subtleties of satire or something, and so I thought it was just like an angle that he came up with like it was more like strategic like there are a lot of you know there there are the bill o'reilly's out there so i can get some attention if i do a bill o'reilly thing and i didn't know what stephen colbert's personal politics were but i didn't really right it didn't occur to me to ask that you know what i mean it was just like here's a comedian who came up with this idea and and so his like assholery was sort of like frustrating to me like actually frustrating like yeah yeah i get that it's for comedy but like it is annoying that you're cutting off these like like awesome authors that you've invited on the show and it wasn't until quite a bit later that i was like 
oh, the point of satire is everything he says, flip it, and that's the thing that's real. <laughs> like, that was when I was like, oh, so now I, that's the key to enjoying it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, because as someone who has a huge following among people that I know, but you know, a small following overall, he mm-hmm. got some, he got like, Ed, Ed, he got some really, uh, some really great guests, some guests that I thought were really great that you wouldn't see on a larger talk show. Yeah. Just because he got like, I went and saw a taping of the show once. Um, that's cool. Uh, it was really cool. My friend just gave me a call and he was like, do you want to go to this? I have an extra ticket. Um, and I went, and yeah, it was really, it was really cool. And he had, his guest was, um, Emily Bazelon, who, uh, works for Slate.com and, uh, had written a book about, uh, bullying. Um, and, uh, and it was really awesome to see her because the other outlets that it was probably her biggest outlet in terms of being interviewed on a cable news show as uh, you know her she's her her book uh was very popular but her other outlets were you know more public radio and podcasts and mm-hmm. things like that um so i was like oh this is really awesome emily Bazelon's getting all this press but then because she was being interviewed by the stephen colbert character it was kind of not a real interview and it's like right. oh am i supposed to be disappointed by this or am i supposed to love it because i'm not really getting to hear exactly what she i am getting to hear exactly what she has to say because he very cleverly constructs his uh his questions but it is all about him it is all about watching a performance yeah yeah Um, exactly it still pushes the character yeah and uh, yeah and in his interviews on the uh when i heard that tribute to him on fresh air he talks about how he's like he's like i'm i'm not a comedian uh and i'm not a journalist i'm an actor like i'm i I see what i do as acting that's all Mm -hmm. it is Mm -hmm. um yeah that's what i mean (laughs) <laughs> I, I feel like it's a really fine line to split because you're also doing those other two things. Like, <clears throat> I mean, it's kind of like the, you know, the, the, uh, unfortunate or, or one could say like tragic reality that so many people get their news from the daily show. And, <clears throat> uh, you know, John Stewart has gone on record many times by being like, don't like maybe use it as a starting point in the same way that you'd use a Wikipedia article as a starting point to actually research the topic. But this should not be the end of your news. Um, and and yet it is for a lot of people, like invariably, like, you know what it is? It's like I see it as similar to like I was pissed off that they started making hybrid SUVs when those first started rolling out. And then somebody was like a certain population, a certain percentage of the population is always going to buy SUVs. So isn't it good that they're making hybrid ones? You know what I mean? Like, right. It's the whole, like you just have to kind of find a middling goal. Like that's better than nothing. Like bring up the worst and that's still an improvement, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, Yeah, it's. I mean, it's no wonder that people go to Stephen Colbert and uh, John Stewart for. Well, they don't go to Stephen Colbert anymore. Um, uh, but when he was on the air, it's no wonder that they go to those people for news. If you look at how much other John news Oliver. is. Oh yeah, now they have John Oliver. Exactly. I was just. Um, I was just thinking about. Uh, I. I really. Uh, as much as my politics align with uh with hers i really uh and 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 as much as i think that she is uh 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 uh, a a positive in uh society i don't like watching rachel maddow because i don't like seeing someone yelling at me (laughs) (laughs) and and uh and honestly, that's what uh, starts to turn me off. If anything turns me off a little bit about John Oliver's show is when he gets a little more yelly. But he's just so funny that. And if and if I was, it, I was like, if if Rachel Maddow could maybe like uh, be a little more satirical or something, maybe that would make me want to watch it more. I still love that she's on. I just I don't want to watch a yelly thing. Sure, so. I can see that. I think that the reason. I can handle John Oliver is yelling is because it, it, 
it doesn't even seem political. It seems like humanist. Like it seems like the yelling is like, thank you for finally letting on mainstream television these opinions come out opinions that we've all had for a long time but a he's finally putting them to words better than most of us could and b it's it's not like there is very little spin like it seems like he's trying to bring it back to just simplistic like logic or common sense right and so the yelling is like a sense of like um what do you call it catharsis and i'm totally on the same page as him and so like it's encouraging to me that that's like I don't know. It seems like that's the gift of like the the this decade or something. Like we'll look back and be like, this was the decade that it became popular to be like. And I think Twitter is a big part of that. Where like we and I think we've talked about it on the show prior too, where comedians will be joking all day long, and then some event, some like awful school shooting or some like major storm or something will happen. Some major national or or global event will ha- occur, and these comedians that are have such sharp wits. Um, will be like seriously though this thing and they say it sharper than anybody else could because that's their job already but to say it funny and they've so they're also good at like flipping back and being like like kind of cutting the fat off of the issue and i feel like it's kind of funny but for the past like whatever since probably like the 40s or even earlier we've excelled at like at like ideas being born with the fat already on them kind of thing. And so cutting the fat off, which should, shouldn't be something we have to do is finally something we're like all starting to get good at. And I think that the media is reflecting that in the, in the form of like John Oliver. Right. Right. I think it, I think that one of the successes of that show is, uh, has to do with the format to it being weekly and also with, I think, the people involved in the show being keenly aware that this is a person uh, with a British accent, uh, mainly talking about what's wrong with America. <laughs> and uh, and I think in order to make that not uh, uh, be so, feel so reactionary and so, um, I guess, to use an earlier term, yelly, uh, I think what they do is they don't they do focus on events but they use an event to open up a larger conversation about sort of a concept and they're like, mm-hmm. we're going to spend 18 minutes on prison we're going to spend mm-hmm. 18 minutes on school shootings um and and it, that's partially because it's weekly too because they can't stay on the pulse of things the way a daily show right. uh, or a, or a um or an online outlet uh, could so they sort of open it up to these larger issues and it leads it to be a lot more philosophical uh, yeah than... I think that's really it makes it much more powerful I remember reading somewhere that I think it was like Split Sider or something was like um, pointing out that with uh, The Daily Show they use the news as an excuse to write jokes like a like a highfalutin version of like a Letterman monologue or something whereas uh, the, John Oliver uses jokes as a way to give us these this concept or these the you know this sort of like thesis but it's much more about the thesis than it is about the jokes and the, and the recipe sort of flipped with the daily show or something and i think that that's completely based on um you know obviously the goal is different but i feel like that can only happen because of what you're saying about it being weekly versus it being daily like you, you know they, they clearly they, if, for it to get philosoph- philosophical the writers had to sit there for a week chewing on these ideas, you know, and then they mm-hmm. figured out like, okay, well, how do we make sure that it's funny in the meantime? So that like, you know, the, the, the honey with the catching the flies or whatever. But like, um, with the daily show, I feel like every single day, like you just have to have a, a, a writer's room and they just coming up with jokes like crazy. And like, well, let's talk about that news story. Not cause it's the biggest news story, but because we got the most material out of it or whatever. Right. Right. And that's awesome. Like more power to it. Like that's where you go for the for the funny. And I feel like John Oliver is like breath of fresh air. Which again, I hope I'd love to look back and say this was when the breath of fresh air like era began. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like. I don't know. I guess the uh, the other era that could have beca- have could have begun now 
with us as 90-year-old men looking back <laughs> is the era of of outrage and uh I'd, I'd, and I feel like outrage is is so important uh but yes. I feel like I also feel like we're reaching peak outrage almost <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. like the the yelling including well, the yelling that like we're doing a... right now is <laughs> just going to is going to just it's it's not there's not going to be sound waves anymore it's going to be a wall of sound it's going to be the phil specter of uh <laughs> of, of people uh yelling about uh various so, things various important things for sure but yeah yeah well and how and, do you separate it out yeah that's that's a very very good point like like you know the the common refrain about like the internet or youtube comments is that people are just screaming nonsense um, but mm-hmm. there's just so much hate and like, you know, poor Anita Sarkeesian just has like wave after wave of just angry, angry, like death threats or whatever. And so the shouting thing isn't so much new as I, as the, um, almost like more coherent shouting, like soapbox shouting mm-hmm. yeah. where you're like writing this whole beginning, middle and end, like you've thought about this thing. And so now you're like, and so I think you're right. I, I hope that that's because it's finally getting popular to say a real thing and not just have Kermit with his tea. (laughs) Like like you're actually trying to say something new, which I think like that's the beauty of like Tumblr. At least the people I've have found that I've slowly like collected to follow is that they have like, it it is kind of soapboxy and yet it's kind of calmer. And so, is that the website where somebody will have a picture, a, st- a still photo of Louis C.K. and there will be a giant block of text of what Louis C.K. might have been <laughs> saying at that point? That's well, the website that's for that? I think I think that's it. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> but, but Or like a four, like a... Like a yeah, it's uh, more than that. It's, it's, it's four to six different squares of Louis doing different impressions or different expressions. And there's uh, like two sentences per picture <laughs> what if it was of him doing different impressions <laughs> you couldn't tell because it was the same text every time yeah. you can imagine the various voices yeah. he's doing he, he yeah but you wouldn't choose louis ck you'd choose someone who's not at all known for like doing different voices at all like, yeah. you'd have terry gross and it would be like <laughs> benjamin franklin quote and a ben franklin quote and like still terry gross and it'd be like samuel jackson and a samuel jackson quote <laughs> like so weird to imagine her doing those impressions. <laughs> I imagine them like that. She does it perfectly, though. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing. If you're only reading the text, you have to imagine she's good at it. <laughs> true. That's true. I'm starting this. I'm starting the trend of silent impressions. <laughs> um. Uh, Fred Armisen is listening to this conversation and writing down a hundred ideas for his next episode of Portland. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but so we have talked about some, some upbeat things and some really downer shit. But what I really want to get to is you wrote on the uh, docket of things to talk about a couple weeks back, you wrote PT Anderson, the greatest. So not until last night, did I finally see Inherent Vice? And I would really like to talk to you about it because I know we're not a movie podcast, but that was a crazy fucking movie. <laughs> I need to talk to somebody about it. <laughs> I really liked how it uh, just completely accepted that you were going to compare it to The Big Lebowski. Yeah, and, that's true. Uh, that's really and true. didn't really try to prove itself in any way there. Uh, that... Mm. And the, the it being all over the place definitely has uh, something to do with uh, the source material. I think that mm-hmm. I think that maybe uh, he might not have done another uh, movie that goes everywhere all at once had it not been for the fact that he was doing a, uh, a Thomas Pynchon novel, which right. are which are known for that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, like I'm realizing that I like uh, me and whoever else lots of people are um heaping praise on PT Anderson when really 
it's it's probably on us to read the Thomas Pynchon novel and start heaping praise on on the right source. Right. Well, I mean, I, I, that's that's one of that's one of Pynchon's lesser novels. Like people don't really like it very much. I don't really oh, know uh, that much about it. I uh, it it's it's recent. It's from like you know, uh, it's from two thousand five or something. Gotcha. Uh, and Thomas Pynchon has a very like has a very weird career where he uh, won, I believe it was the National Book Award for Gravity's Rainbow in the 70s, famously refused to turn out uh, to accept the award, sent someone to accept the award in his place and has and has, is is very famously reclusive and, and nobody really knows gotcha. what he looks like. And the, the Simpsons... Um, Put a bang uh, on his head. Yeah, I made fun of that. Um, although he did... F- he did the voice in the Simpsons. Like I think that was, uh, awesome. that was the big joke. And that was like, you know, when the, as the Simpsons have gotten, uh, older, you know, as the show has, has progressed, it's gotten more and more, uh, obsessed with like, you know, the fact that it's people from Harvard writing the jokes. And so they can make <laughs> Thomas Pynchon jokes or whatever. Right, but, um, right. my friend was working, this is years ago. Uh, um, my friend was working at a video store in Manhattan, and he sold a DVD of The Simpsons movie to Thomas Pynchon. And he knows it was Thomas Pynchon because the guy gave him his credit card to buy the DVD, and it said Thomas Pynchon on it. That's wild. Wow. Yeah. So I thought that was uh, <laughs> that, that's a yeah, that was a great like uh, um, Thomas Pynchon encounter. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's many stories like that floating around. There's not many Thomas Pynchon encounters. It's it's not like Bill Murray where everyone he's always showing up at weddings. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And saying no one will ever believe you. Right. My dad claims to know a guy whose wife ran off with Thomas Pynchon. Um and, yeah, and the, well, your dad has stories. I know. The reason I kind of doubt it is I was like so like did you did you meet Thomas Pynchon? Did you see him? And my dad gives a, like a vague answer, like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I did, did I saw him. I met him. I was like, he's from far away. He was like tall, skinny guy. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you met him from far away. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, um, he totally like you and your dad and Thomas Pynchon were like good buds for like several weeks. And he was just like, if you ever tell anyone stories about me, say you only met me from far away. And I was a tall skinny guy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Dad's just doing what he was told. (laughs) That's, that's another crazy thing about the, uh, the, uh, Mark Maron, um, interview is that it, it, it seems apparent that uh, that PC Anderson, with regards to Thomas Pynchon, has been sworn to some kind of secrecy um, <laughs> uh, in the, like the, uh, the 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 cult of Thomas Pynchon. And um, that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. No. The, uh, like I I I saw the movie and I heard that interview and uh, I just I thought that regardless of the movie's flaws, that it was I I, I guess. I guess it goes along with a lot of the movies that I kept going back to that I saw this year. I, I like, I think some of the movies that I loved the most that I saw this year were some of the most flawed, um, or some of the mm. ones that, that like, or ones that I thought of the most. Um, I didn't love the double, but I keep on thinking about the double. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. It's very, it's very, uh, demanding of, of one's thoughts about it. Right. Yeah, and but I'd say a chief among those is probably um, is probably inherent vice. The one that I that that I didn't necessarily think was perfect, but I keep thinking about. Um, well, I feel like, like I think what is it's like at what point I used to think a lot about like like movies being like puzzle boxes or something where if you show someone directly what you're talking about, then you failed in some way. Hmm. I kind of struggle with that because it kind of seemed like bullshit. <laughs> but I think, you know, there's a real purpose to it because like, that's a part of storytelling is 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 trying to kind of get underneath people's 
like fold their brains back and mm-hmm. kind of insert something subtly that that maybe like the like the double is troubling. It's double troubling. <laughs> and, <laughs> are, you, are you writing reviews for Entertainment <laughs> Weekly? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, when I used to read Entertainment Weekly because we had a subscription at work, I uh, I didn't realize how bad the reviews were. <laughs> and I'd like read them, and then like I'd go visit my parents, and I'd read the New Yorker reviews, and I'd get used to those, and then I'd come back and read the Entertainment Weekly reviews, and be like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when I was reading the the uh, the double review from Entertainment Weekly titled "Double Trouble." Um, uh, and it really, it really made me think about how like there's a lot of like unexplained elements, and like that's part of. So like, I guess I would hate to say that that's makes a film flawed because it's a like that was the goal of the film was like mm-hmm. inserting these sort of complex ideas, maybe unrelated ideas. It's like listening to like. Paul Simon lyrics where like one verse seemingly is about a completely different situation than the next and so your brain is sort of forced to to draw a line between the two and whether like you know you have to be careful because the obvious line might not be the correct one um but what's really exciting about like about inherent vice to me was like that the characters are going through things emotionally that you're getting clues to, but they don't like, like the very end, like spoilers. If you haven't seen inherent vice, but it's not really much of a spoiler. He's w- in the car with the woman and she, and it seems like everything's all kind of wrapped up and everyone seems happy, but she seems really, really unhappy. She has this really sad look on her face mm-hmm. and he keeps getting light, like in his eyes, like reflected from the rear view mirror. So that kind of like highlights his eyes, but he seems really content and you could read that like 15 different ways. And I kind of feel like he's smarter than like the obvious thing is like sh- he's satisfied that he's got the girl. But I don't think he's that dumb. You know, like I feel like he kind of knows more than like maybe maybe it's, you know, a stupid uh, Big Lebowski comparison that I'm trying to make. But it's sort of like I think of him as being the dude abiding a little bit. Right, right. Yeah. And. Or like the in the scene just before that, or a couple before that, the amazing, amazing final scene with, um, with the cop Bigfoot, whose actor name I don't. Josh Brolin. Right Josh Brolin. Thank you. Josh Brolin was the best in that movie. He was <laughs> so amazing. And that final scene with him, like, because you're you're really going back and forth about whether he's an ally or whether he's a hurdle to overcome Mm -hmm. and he, he goes back and forth and he seems like he's kind of then just doing his own thing. And then in the very end, he's like kicks his door down and starts like fucking his shit up. And there's this brief. So first he kicks the door down. Then they very briefly are completely in sync with each other. And then he starts fucking his shit up again. And the audience is going, what is happening in the scene? But luckily Joaquin Phoenix is there to be completely freaked out for us. Yeah, exactly. And to the point where he's like in tears, like so freaked out. Yeah. And, but I don't read the tears just as being freaked out. I read the tears as like kind of some cosmic sadness that he's dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of like, I got to see it again and again and again, if I really want to kind of churn through these things, but like, those to me are the most interesting uh, movies or, or or just like stories to kind of like to work through is like emotionally, like literally what happened in that scene was kind of confusing. So emotionally what was happening in that scene to, to explain it, you know, mm-hmm. like this is a really random dumb example, but our friend, our mutual friend Morgan was like, Max on, on G chat did you say you finished Deep Space Nine? <laughs> it's like two in the morning. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. I finally watched it all on Netflix over the course of several years. I, I got finally got through it all. And he's like, I just finished it. It's really good. It's way better than I gave our credit for. And he was like, check this scene out. And he sends me a link via YouTube to this one scene where this character is like, basically, he's doing this like log, like captain's log, blah, blah, blah. 
but he's like talking straight to the camera and he's talking about like all the like dark shit that he had to do to like achieve this good result like the ends justify the means kind of thing mm-hmm. and then right at the end he's like he's like and i have to be okay with the fact that i did these things and he's like i am okay i am okay with it i am okay and then he's like computer delete entire log and then like the computer's like brr, brr, log deleted and he's just like all right and then it fades to black and i was like wait if he's okay with it why did he have to delete the log and if the writing is suggesting that he's saying he's okay with it but he's not really how come the actor is delivering it in such a self-assured way? Like, no, no, seriously, I am okay with this. And so I felt like there were like several like in, you know, like in uh, congruent things mm-hmm. happening in the scene. Mm-hmm. And so I was like to Morgan, I was like, what was that scene about? Meaning like emotionally, what was the character going through? And Morgan was like, well, he deleted his log. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, well, the captain did some really bad stuff to help the Romulans join the war. And I'm like, fine, fine. No, but what was that scene about? And like, we kind of went back and forth and kind of came to some conclusions that, that were kind of neat that made the scene way better once it was like, like by deleting it, he is making himself okay with it. Like this mm-hmm. idea of like the hidden things that we never tell anyone about and, and being at peace with that hidden layer of our like personal histories or whatever it was really cool but it was like way better because you know it's like a game it's like a it's like a puzzle game it's like a mist right <laughs> cd-rom style point and click adventure to get <laughs> i think my whole game. life is like a cd-rom style point and click adventure <laughs> i agree i agree completely <laughs> <laughs> this podcast cd-rom style point and click adventure <laughs> I was actually going to say something about inaccessibility as uh, inaccessibility in art or how this is something that you can question that goes both ways because uh, uh, part of me thinks that, oh, of course you should be able to question and it shouldn't be accessible right away. And then part of me says, well, that that makes it so that anybody can make something that isn't accessible and assume that it's good. And right. it's not going to necessarily be good. And, and uh, one of the um, things I've been doing lately is I've been working uh, at um, at this art gallery, and uh, and the show that we have up right now is um, is a sculpture show um, that has uh, art that uh, you know that would be called uh, postmodern. Um, and inaccessible to a lot of people, and it's the kind of stuff. I mean, it's kind of contemporary gallery work that if you if you go to a museum or a gallery, it's the kind of work that you see people standing in front of it and saying, "Oh, oh this is very interesting," but no one's really able to totally articulate what it's about. Hmm. And uh, and the gallery is in in a neighborhood that's not known for its galleries. It's in a neighborhood in uh, in Queens that um that would would be called up and coming by uh okay. uh by a certain group of people. And this guy came in today and he's and he's uh he was like, "I don't know anything about art. I don't even know if this is art to be completely honest with you. So tell me what this is about." And I was really not able to <laughs> I was like, I was like, well, it's art. He's like, and, uh, 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 part of it is, um, it has these, it's sculptures with photographic elements and the photographs are, uh, some of the photographs are of the interiors of cars. Some of them are of, uh, stove burners. And, uh, and he's like, so what are you selling cars? Are you selling stuff? He's like, I sound like I'm making fun of you, dude, but I honestly really don't know anything so like please just tell me exactly uh, what this is about uh, and he was like really putting me on the spot and he was kind of yelling at me about it too <laughs> and and he was being a really nice guy he was like i really he's like i'm not making fun of you bro i'm not making fun of you and i really hope when i walk out of this room that you're not gonna gonna make fun of me because i just really like i'm struggling with this and i need to know what it's about like he wow. seemed mad <laughs> yeah like he woke up that day pissed that he didn't get what art was about <laughs> yeah exactly it's, and um which is understandable when you look at modern art it's you know and not that that even would be categorized as modern art but when you think of quote-unquote modern art it is like almost like it's challenging you to be mad at it 
Yeah, and he's like, he's like, he's like, honestly, I don't know anything about. It. Well, like, he's like, he's like, I can look at some art and kind of get it. And I didn't actually ask him about like what art he uh, does like to look at, but I, I'm assuming like I don't know, it's like the it's like the equivalent of like looking at like I don't know art that you could get would be like uh, a landscape or something like mm-hmm. like 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 e- like easily accessible art would be uh, a. a, a picture of something mm-hmm. i was able to about half explain it and um and then he started talking about like the exact things that were in the photographs though and he's like and it's, it's, so he's describing this photo of this car and he's like he's like you see the door lock here right you see the automatic door lock but the door's not locked or unlocked it's in the middle and i was he was like what does that mean and i was like what do you think it means? And he was like, ah, <laughs> like he got mad. <laughs> like <he> was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, honestly, in my interpretation, that's totally, uh, inconsequential. It, that was just, they happened to be in that position when the photo was taken. That's not what the photo is about. And he's like, but why is it there? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes there's mistakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or sometimes there's just things in photos. Like, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> right. Yeah. Every time right. you look in a photo, there's a million things in it. And, you know, some, sometimes those photos are going to, sometimes those are going to mean something to the art and sometimes they're going to be inconsequential depending right. on the uh, artist's vision. The 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 uh, license plate on the car that says 28IF on the cover of Abbey Road does not mean that Paul McCartney would have been 28 if he hadn't died. <laughs> oh, shit! <laughs> Dude. When, well, there's that whole, like, theory that Paul McCartney had died and they'd replaced him with a lookalike. Oh, okay. Yeah, they had replaced Paul McCartney. No, that is real. That is true. They did. Oh. They did oh. replace Paul McCartney with a. Oh, uh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, uh, uh, I just, uh, I just changed the Wikipedia article, and yeah, uh, and now, now it's true. true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was like, so why do people fucking say that Paul died, and what is that all about? And like, looked into it, and this was like before Wikipedia was a popular thing, and so I was just like reading like forums and stuff. And I was like, Jesus, this is crazy. <laughs> and like the the like extreme thing was the the twenty eight if license plate was was pretty crazy. But then also they had the whole thing where like the Beatles were all like, like oh shoot, was it like Paul is barefoot because you bury the dead without shoes? George is in blue jeans because he's a workman who will dig the grave. John is in white because he's the preacher or the pastor who will read the eulogy. And Ringo's in black because he's the mourner. Like, boom. Like, they had written this whole, like, thing. And it was like, that's, like, this is a testament to our brain's ability to find order in chaos. Like, that's amazing. Like, the fact that you can, like, look at a photo of, like, a nebula and see Jesus's face in it, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's fucking astounding that we're capable of doing that. But oh God. the fact that there's like, the fact that there's like any crazy idea that a person has, thanks to Squarespace, you can make a website about it in 17 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the fact that like you aren't in a bad part of town, when you hear people ranting and raving crazy shit they just thought of, you're just Googling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so insane and awesome, but terrifying. <laughs> yeah, super terrifying. And what will soon be revealed is that in between the last episode and this episode of the podcast, I died and was replaced with a, with <laughs> Which, a double. Yeah, explains your slightly different facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> but and so I feel you can for hear the, it. You can hear the facial hair. <laughs> yep, I was brushing against the mic, <laughs> making that shh sound. <laughs> it's actually our podcast is becoming popular amongst the ASMR community. <laughs> exactly, it's so soothing the way your new fake mustache sounds. <laughs> exactly. So Jonathan Frakes has one of the highest rated podcasts among the ASMR community. <laughs> so that sweet beard is just rubbing against the mic. God, that is also popular amongst the I'm puking in my own mouth community. 
but he doesn't know. Like he just <laughs> is talking about like collector cars. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and he's just bad at recording a podcast. He gets way up. He gets like one of those guys that kind of swallows the mic, so you hear his beard a lot. But he gets really popular with the ASMR community. His brain tingles going on all over the place. Right, right. No one tell him how to do it right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I can completely identify with some someone who looks at the photo of the car and the lock is halfway up, and they focus on that. Or, or the people who look at Paul wearing no shoes and go, why? Why no shoes? Why no shoes? <laughs> yeah. Because you're, you're, you have these artists. Like, yeah, like going back to Inherent Vice, like I bet you if you sat down next to P.T. Anderson and you fed him truth serum and you're like, what's this scene about? Why did that happen? Why did that happen? Like a good third of what you ask about, he'll be like, oh, because the light was bad, so we moved the camera. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There was like some Vice interview where they interview him uh, about that movie and they're like, were there some troubling times on set? Like, were there, you know, like real simple questions. Like, were there problems? Was there a day that you had problems that you overcame using whatever Mm -hmm. techniques? And he tells a story about like having an idea going on, going into the filming day of the scene where, um, where Joaquin and, um, and uh, Reese Witherspoon are hanging out on the park bench and talking. And originally, it's all done in one shot. And originally, he had planned to do it from like all this coverage, but then like they kept losing the day, like the light. And so at the last second, they just found a different park bench. They ran over there where the light was good, and they just did it all in one take. And he said the result was a thousand times better. And it really is. Like it's you. Like I was thinking about that as I watched the scene. I was like, this is way more emotionally like affecting because we're never breaking away from it. Right. Um, and so like, that just makes you go like, well, it's almost like he wanted to make sure to tell that story in his press junket to be like, there are random things in there that literally mean nothing guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like the, 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 something that will, uh, really will serve for both David Lynch lovers to continue loving David Lynch or David Lynch <laughs> haters to hate David Lynch even more is the thing about how uh, the character of Bob was revealed in uh, Twin Peaks. Do you know this? Uh, mm, do, do, no. uh, uh, the um, There was mention of Bob, but they didn't decide whether or not they were going to actually show Bob's face and who was going to be played, who's going to play Bob. And then in one of the scenes, they accidentally started filming when one of the guys, one of the uh, 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 set decorator guys who moved the furniture around in the set was reflected um, by accident in the mirror. And, <laughs> and then David Lynch saw that. And he was like, that's Bob. Like, and, and then he became a huge character in the show wow. and, and that guy wasn't even an actor. And then, but, but then he had to be in the show because David That's Lynch, amazing. And, but if you tell that to someone who hates David Lynch, they'll be like, Oh God, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is why you weed certain filmmakers out of the program. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, isn't that the thing? Like, that's kind of beautiful that, like, oh, these mistakes are woven. Like, what's the new fucking Death Cab for Cutie album that's going to be released in March? It's like some Japanese word that if I try and remember will be racist. (laughs) (laughs) But it's basically the idea of, like, a, like, damage done to an item shouldn't be repaired because it becomes part of the history of that item and it needs to continue life like incorporating the bad things as well as the good or whatever and so it's the same thing of like when you fuck up you let it go and that sometimes becomes you know a major piece of the history of that thing right and um and so it's when you realize that is when you start going well maybe it's a mistake to get super high and watch Pink Floyd's The Wall over and over and over again looking for the secret clues yeah. or listening to Smashing Pumpkins <laughs> over and over and over again looking for the clues because right. because it's all just kind of, we're all just barely keeping it together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's I I think I think that's true. And I think that's that's a 
It's probably a good note to go out on. Yeah, we're just okay, barely sure. keeping it together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially when you hear the unedited cut of this episode. <laughs> shh, shh. <laughs> Smoke and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors. There were no technical difficulties at all. Flawless. By episode five, we are flawless. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um. All right, Jacob. Well, thank you for thank you, listeners, for uh, listening in to uh, to our episode number five. I hope you come back next week. Uh, we may have a new name by then. We're still figuring out the name. Yeah. Uh, but you can email us at rockamockam at gmail dot com. That's R O C K E M O C C A M. Uh, and let us know what you think of the podcast and. Let us know your favorite uh, things from, like, art, movies, uh, music, literature, whatever, that you thought were, uh, you know, a carefully considered piece and then you later learned were um, uh, a fuck-up that was, like, incorporated or embraced. Because I bet there's many more out there, and if any listeners have more, I'd love to hear them. Oh, yeah. No, there have to be a million examples of, uh, of that happening. I feel like there could be a podcast based around that idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When it, when I think about that happening, it seems like it is just always happening and that all things mm-hmm. are accidental. But, oh, you know, dude, I also so right just <laughs> – the mushrooms are just kicking in. So <laughs> You're like, I ate them assuming that we'd be finished when they kicked in, but then we had some technical <laughs> difficulties and now yeah. I'm behind. I'm so now I'm partying. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, uh, on that note, uh, take us out, uh, Jacob, what do you got to, as a final thought, uh, for my final thought, uh, I kind of thought you were going to do the final thought, but okay. <laughs> I got, I got one if you want. And you, uh, uh, J- Jerry Springer style, you give us our final thought. <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> here's some useful Arabic phrases. <laughs> uh, Hello is salam alaikum. Uh, hello or welcome is alan wa salan. Uh, and excuse me to a man is on iznak, but to a woman is on is nick. On is nick, everybody. <laughs> on is nick. <laughs>